let's turn our attention now uh, to Luke chapter 1. And uh, I love this time of year. And I love going to uh, the Christmas Advent story and uh, mining it uh, year after year. And every year I am blessed by new things, by old things seen in new ways, and, um, and hopefully you'll be blessed as well. Let's look at um, Luke chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that the angels showed up We thank you, O God, that you showed up in the life of Zechariah and the life of Elizabeth, and you blessed them tangibly with a son, a son who would be your mouthpiece, who would declare the coming of the Lord, who would make way the people of God for Jesus. And, O Father, as we sit here this morning, uh, we need the same word. We need the same encouragement. We need you to show up in the midst of our mundane lives. We need you to show up in the midst of our waiting. We need you to show up for many of us to be honest or or struggling with their faith. 
And we need you. Oh God, we need more than a lecture. We need more than just biblical facts. We need the very Spirit of God, Your Spirit of God, to come among us, to speak in us, and to give us hope. That we might hang on to the end. (laughs) That we might keep hoping. We believe, but help us in our unbelief. And Father, I pray for those in this room that don't believe, who are angry with You, who scoff at You, who think all this is silly. And the only reason they're here is because family has drugged them. I pray, O God, that You would speak to them, that You would make them believers in Your living Word and in the very person of Jesus Christ. For we all need You. Come, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. I came across a blog this week that that really spoke to me, oddly enough, when you hear it. (laughs) But I think it will speak to you as well. It was by a, a girl that uh, was blogging about her experience as a, a believer growing up in church and youth group, and this is what she wrote. She said, when I was 16, I got my purity ring, and when I was 25, I took it off. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. It wasn't a statement or an emotional thing. I just slipped it off my finger that day, and before tucking it away in a box, ran my finger around the words on the familiar gold band that said, True love waits. Waits. What's it waiting for, anyway? I had my reasons for deciding not to wear it anymore. Other people might have other reasons. It's a graveyard of hearts, this place where single church girls crash into their late 20s and early 30s. Churches see the symptoms. They scramble to reach out to the ever-growing young adult singles crowd who feels alienated by family-oriented services. But there's something bigger behind it than that, much bigger. There are a lot of girls out there who don't know who God is anymore. The God of their youth group years just isn't working out. Back then, that God said to wait for sex until they're married, until he brings the right man along for a husband. They signed a card and put it on the altar and pledged to wait, and wait they did. And waited, and waited, (laughs) and waited. You see, a lot of girls were sold on a deal and not a savior. I had that poem on my bulletin board, she writes, all through high school, the one where God, quote, end quote, was telling me to fall in love with him first and then I would be able to fall in love with a husband later. Who wrote that poem anyway? Pretty sure it wasn't God. When Jesus was here on earth, the crowds would follow him because they saw he gave good things. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted their hearts for himself. So he would turn to them and say things like, If you don't love me so much that every other relationship in your life looks like hate, by comparison, you can't follow me. That sounds a lot different from the poem. Christ is the source of everything we need and the giver of all good gifts. If we had learned we don't abstain from sex because we're waiting, we abstain because we love Him, if I'd had on my bulletin board, fall in love with Jesus, that's it, bottom line, that's everything you need to know. If I'd learned who He is, what He wants, how to give Him everything, not wait so that one day I could give my everything to someone else. If I'd learned that it's not bad to pray for a husband, but that my greater prayer should be for Him to spend my life as He chooses for His glory. 
If we as believers make that our message, things could be drastically different for a lot of girls wondering why God, why the God they think they learn to follow doesn't compute. It doesn't necessarily stop the desire for a husband nor end all feelings of loneliness, but it does show a God who provides loves and gives infinite purpose even to our singleness rather than a God who categorically denies some who pray for husbands while seemingly giving freely to others. It shows that while marriage is good, he is the greater good. And then she concludes, I just didn't want to wait anymore, talking about why she took her ring off. I didn't want to live like I was waiting on anyone to get here. I already have him, and he's everything. Dear friends, if you don't understand that struggle of waiting for God to show up, then you don't understand the Christian life. Because that is what the first two chapters of Luke is about, and really that's what the history of the people of God is about. It's about waiting for God to show up, waiting for His promises to be fulfilled, but them not being fulfilled wholeheartedly and completely this side of heaven. It's about getting taste of blessing, but not the real blessing until glory. And every one of us in this room, if we have struggled with the gospel, we have had to have struggled, and you're probably struggling this morning with this question, is He worth the wait? And so we go to Luke chapter 1, and we see Zechariah and Elizabeth who are waiting. (laughs) Her womb is barren. She can have no children. They're advanced in years. The hope of even having children is gone. They are waiting and waiting and waiting, but where in the world is God in the midst of their service? Where is God in the midst of their daily lives? Where is God in the midst of the mundane stuff of life? And what Zachariah and Elizabeth learn is what we all have to learn, and it is this. If we are waiting for Jesus to be our life, we will have life. If we're waiting for Jesus to be our satisfaction, we will have satisfaction. But if we're looking to Jesus to bring us something that will satisfy, we will be disillusioned. If we're looking to Jesus to bring us someone who can replace Him, then we will be angry and bitter and skeptical and mad. You see, friends, Christmas, the story of Christmas, forces this question. Is He worth the wait? Because all He really promises this side of heaven is Himself. You see, Jesus is the prize of Christianity. Is that what you really want? Is that what I really want? If it is, we're good to go. But on most days, I have to say it's not. It's Jesus and. It's Jesus because I want this. Is He worth the wait? Let's look at it. I think we see from Zechariah and Elizabeth's life that faithfulness is waiting. Holiness is waiting. But it's waiting for God and it's hoping for Him. Carol O'Kelly is a woman who started coming to our church when we were in Olive Branch many years ago. She and her husband and her three children. About ten years ago, Carol O'Kelly came down with cancer and she has battled faithfully for, for ten years. 
About two and a half weeks ago, she went to the doctor, and the doctor told her that her battle was coming to an end, and she probably wasn't going to make it till Christmas. And so Carol called many of her friends to her bedside, 12 to 14 of them. And she had a request for them, and that was to, to decorate her house and to decorate her tree for Christmas because she wanted to have one last Christmas with her family. And so these women went to work like southern women do. They, they were busy at it, and they decorated that tree, and they put that house in order, and it was beautiful. And when everything was done, they gathered around her bed, and they said, Carol, we're, we're done with the house, but, but we all know that's not really why we're here. We, we know why we're here, and, and, and we just want to spend some time talking to you. And we want to go around the circle, and each one of us wants to tell you what you have meant to us and what you mean to us, and the impact that you've had on our lives. And Carol said, absolutely, you can do that, but not until or unless I go first. And she said, friends, all the things that you worry about are nothing. (laughs) All the petty things that make you anxious, all the petty things that have you running in circles and worrying and, and, and being frantic in your life are nothing. The only thing that matters, friends, is Jesus. She said, I want you to understand that I'm not scared and I hadn't been scared for some time now. She said, Jesus has come to me and He has given me peace. She said, I want all of you to know that peace. And I want to make sure that every one of you in this room knows the Jesus I know. (laughs) Unbelievable. They prayed. There were tears. They all shared. They left. And that Saturday, she celebrated Christmas with her family. And two weeks ago today, on Sunday morning, she went home to be with Jesus. You see, if Carol O'Kelly was in the Christian life... For what He could give her in this life, she would have ended her life differently. What those women would have found would have been a bitter, angry, disillusioned woman. And yet what they saw was confidence. What they saw was hope. What they saw was a woman who was willing to lie in her bed and with her last breath preach Christ to them. Be concerned about them. Why? Because Jesus just wasn't some person on a card. He wasn't just some character in a story. He wasn't just this this religious thing that, that she kind of brushed up against around the holidays. But Jesus was someone real to her. Is He real to you? You see, it's, it's only when He's real that we can truly and willingly put our hope in Him in the midst of everything that we experience and don't experience. It's only when we want Him more than anything in life that we can really have life. If it's Jesus plus anything, we're discontent, angry, bitter, and skeptical. Zechariah and Elizabeth were in it for God. They'd really given up on a baby. We see that here in the story. Even though Zechariah was still praying, he really didn't believe it. I mean, if you can't relate to that, I know I... I mean, have you ever had God answer a prayer that you 
didn't really believe, even though you prayed it. <laughs> I mean, he does that kind of stuff, and then you're surprised. And so God had to had to discipline him a little bit. Dude, you're the one that told asked me for this, and now I do it, and you you, you know. You say, how can this be? All of a sudden you're a lawyer and you're saying, you know, how can this be? Isn't that amazing? And yet Zechariah and Elizabeth were blameless. All that means is they were faithful. They, they simply they did what they were called to do. They showed up. They served. Were they perfect? No. Did they need Jesus? Absolutely. But they were blameless. They were faithful in their lives as believers. Zechariah was the son of a priest. Abijah, Elizabeth, was uh, the daughter of a priest, Aaron. They were faithful. They had a good marriage. You see that when uh, the angel tells um, Zechariah to name the baby John. There were no Johns in their family. And Elizabeth, you know, should have said, what, what are you talking? You've lost your mind. And yet what did she do? She, she encouraged her husband. She defended her husband when her community was, was uh, shaking their fists at them, saying, why are you calling him John? Y'all don't have any John. This is beyond custom. And so you see, Zachariah and Elizabeth supported each other and encouraged each other. They had a good marriage. Yet she was living disgraced. In the community, we see that at the end of the, uh, the last verse, verse 25, when she said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Uh, no, excuse me, 24. After these days, uh, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach or my disgrace. They're righteous, and yet, they really didn't think that they were ever going to have a child. Why is that? Because this side of heaven, barren women don't have children. And yet what God is wanting them to see is that when He shows up, barren wombs become fruitful. Not for everybody in this life. You see, all of God's miracles are a fast-forward to what we will all experience in glory. He gives us a taste now of what will be then. He's not promising to do this for everybody. He's not promising to do this for those that He loves the most. He simply breaks in according to His plan, according to His time, according to His wisdom, and He blesses some like this to say, hey, to the rest of us, look what's going to happen one day, someday. And that's what we see here. I mean, this is a sign of God's blessing. Isaiah 54.1 says, Sing, barren woman. It's talking about the days when Christ comes to set up the new heavens and the new earth. Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord, if you're living for the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Do you feel desolate this morning? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel forgotten? One day, someday, you will understand that those feelings are unfounded. And we see it here. Because those who should not have had children have a child. And he's a great child. And one day, someday, you will not be where you are now. And God wants you to take hope in that. But we have a story here 
what we have in this story is a story of waiting that ends with real blessing. And that's what you get with Jesus. See, they got the blessing of Jesus more than anything. And that's what I want us to see. You see, Jesus didn't replace... Or, excuse me, John didn't replace Jesus. He just simply gave them more of a taste of Jesus. Let's look at that now. And there's several things in this passage of, that can speak to us of, of why waiting is so hard and yet encourage us to wait and to wait with great perseverance and diligence. Why is waiting so hard? Why was it so hard? We see it in this text. Let's look at it. Several reasons. Waiting is hard because, number one, Jesus seems to show up in the midst of loss. I mean, Jesus shows up and it seems like a happy, glorious deal, you know, but do you understand that they, how many years have they been waiting? We don't know. How many days has, has Elizabeth gone out in public to get water to go to the market and been looked at with that, 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 that look of, of, of pity? Oh, poor Elizabeth. How many days did she carry her disgrace and the burden of having a barren womb? You see, it was in the midst of loss, and that's typically how Jesus comes. That's typically when we see Him face to face and and more brilliant the most. A friend of mine, Mike Sartell, was a pastor. And some over 20 years ago, he and his family were coming back from Christmas vacation. It was on New Year's Day. They were driving through Arkansas and got around the Clarkdale exit when a woman, uh, actually a nurse, who had worked all night and gotten off work, uh, fell asleep at the wheel and came across the median and hit them head on. One of their, two of their children, uh, no, excuse me, one of their children died and Mike died instantly. Another friend of mine went to the hospital, got the call, went to the hospital and waited for Diane, the wife, to wake up. And when her eyes opened, my friend Wayne had the, the horrible task of telling her that her husband and her child were dead. And the very first words out of her mouth were these, God is sovereign and God is good. Dear friends, that means something because of the loss that she was feeling. You see, in the midst of that, if your faith is not rooted in something deeper than this world, then those will not be your first thoughts. If Jesus is not real then that story is absolutely tragic. But if Jesus is real in the midst of loss, He becomes more clear than, friends, that's the kind of God that I want to serve and give my life to. I told you before, one of the most freeing moments in my life was standing before my house with the fire trucks and the ambulances and the water pouring out my front door and realizing I'd lost everything just, what, four years ago. And I had this, I was crying, I was alone, it was horrible, okay, I want you to hear that. This wasn't some super spiritual moment. But in the midst of that, deep in my soul, there was something in me that said, but you still have God and He's enough. And it wasn't just some theological thing that was coming off the shelf, some, some quote I saw in a commentary, it was real. It was, Richard, you're standing before your house. You just lost everything physical. And yet you get the gift to know that you can lose everything and you hadn't lost anything because you have Jesus. What freedom! 
What freedom to live this life and know, God, take anything from me, but as long as I have Jesus, I am still alive and I know life. There is nothing else that can give you that. There's no philosophy. There's nothing. There's no self-help. There's nothing that can give you that confidence but the literal coming of a Savior who lived and died and who stands in our place and who is our high priest before the Father. Waiting is hard because Jesus seems to show up in the midst of loss, but waiting is hard because Jesus seems to show up in the midst of mundane obedience. The life of a priest is not quite the, you know, e-Hollywood kind of life. The life of a priest is described in Leviticus. Now, if you've ever in January, deter- you know, just determined that you were going to read the Bible and you started in Genesis and you took off, if you got to Leviticus, that's probably where you died, okay? Because, you know, you're going through all this priestly service and what they're supposed to wear and how they're supposed to present this offering and how- all these rules and all these regulations and, oh my gosh, let's just jump to the New Testament. Jesus is the end of the law. Hallelujah. Let's forget this Old Testament thing, you know. I mean, that's the book of Leviticus. It's dry, it's boring, and that's Zechariah's life. And to a large extent, that was Elizabeth's life. Because she grew up in a family of priests. She understood. She knew what she was getting into. And yet there was one burst of excitement. Maybe your lot would be drawn. Maybe you could be the one that could go into the temple and burn incense outside of the Holy of Holies and you could let you know the prayers of God's people be lifted up to, to heaven and to God. And that's exactly what is happening here. And Zechariah is in there, but he's not expecting to see Jesus. He's not expecting to encounter God. He's just expecting to go in, burn the incense, try not to screw anything up, and get out. And yet the angel comes, and he's terrified. And yet, when did he come? Look at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty... You hear that, people? When did God show up to to Zechariah? While he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. He was doing what he knew he was supposed to do. Dear friends, if you want to know God, and if you want God to show up, don't give up. Just keep doing what He's called you to do. Do you think there weren't days when Zechariah just wanted to punt the whole priesthood thing and go get several cases of wine and some wild women at the gate and end it all? Absolutely. And yet he showed up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, doing what he was called to do being obedient to what God had called him to do. And look at this. I love it. At the end it says, For your prayer has been heard. In other words, Gabriel's saying, God was listening to you, brother. So keep praying. Keep believing. Keep hoping. Have you, are you at a point in your life where you're feeling hopeless? God is listening. You say, well, there's no tangible signs in my life. I can't even get a good place, parking place at the mall. Listen, God is listening. He is listening to you. Keep praying. 
Keep doing what He's called you to do. God is listening. And He shows up in the midst of mundane, boring service. And then thirdly, when Jesus shows up, fear, not joy, will typically be the immediate resulting emotion. I was in New York um, a week or so ago, and a couple weeks ago, and um, went to a church. Actually, it was uh, Tony Regina. Is Tony here this morning? I hate to absolutely shock you if you're here or uh, embarrass you if you're not, but Tony Regina's uh, brother um, planted a church in New York City, and I didn't, I didn't know what church it was, and I just showed up at this church, and it turned out to be his, his brother's church. And uh, anyway, I was listening to him preach, and he told the story of how God called him from Texas to New York City. And he kept talking about how fearful he was, how he knew he was hearing God telling him to do it. And yet he and his wife were terrified to go to New York City. Who wouldn't be? You know? I mean, everybody is a star in their own little world outside of New York City. And nobody, very few are stars in New York City because that's where the best and the brightest all go. And so all of this fear was crippling him. And I have to say, every time that God has called me to do something, that's exactly how it feels. Fear. It doesn't, oh great, God showed up and He's speaking. It's, oh no, God showed up and He spoke. It's when we know what God is telling us that we are afraid. Why? Because God doesn't show up to call us to things that we can do without Him. So you see, God is always showing up. That's what the angel Gabriel's doing. He's bringing a message from God. He's not representing himself. He's representing God. And so he shows up with the message of God. And it's much bigger than, than Zechariah and Elizabeth can bear. In fact, he can't even believe it. And he's afraid. And the very first thing the angel has to do, which is the very first thing angels have to do with anybody that they approach in Scripture, is say, don't be afraid. Calm down. It's all right. Don't Don't run. And that's the message to us this morning. Has God been speaking to you? Are you scared to death? There's something right about that. Because what you're seeing is you're looking at what God's called you to do and you're looking at your resources and you're coming to the, the rational conclusion that is, I can't do what you've called me to do. But guess what? It is impossible in your strength, but it's not impossible with God. And so what God is calling you to do is to believe Him. To believe that He will do in and through you what you could never do yourself. And that's the Christian life. Are you hearing from Him? Keep believing and walking forward. Don't resist it. Do it. Are you married and you want to get out? Are you with the girl that you think God wants you to marry, but you're scared to death to do it? What, do you have children? Do you not have... Whatever, is it called, whatever it is. Yes, you should be scared. Unless you're looking at the King. Faith is hard. And yet when Jesus shows up, the blessing is better than expected. When Jesus shows up and begins to work, what happens is better than what you could plan. Um, I just experienced that looking at with you guys. Um, Planning this church (laughs) has turned out much better than I planned. Uh, In so many ways different than what I planned. And that's God. I was mentoring a boy, and a few years ago I gave him a Bible for Christmas. 
And I wish you could have seen the look of disappointment on his face. He wanted a Wii, or I don't know what he wanted. He wanted anything but a Bible. And yet, was I giving him something better than anything I could give him? You see, I was giving him the very thing that saved my life. I was giving him the thing that's brought me through every trial. I was giving him the thing that could bring him hope that no Wii or PlayStation could. And yeah, he didn't get it, and I probably wouldn't have gotten it either at 14 years old. But dear friends, that's where we live, isn't it? They were just asking for a child, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And what'd they get? The forerunner of Jesus. Wow. The waiting's worth it. I don't know how God's going to answer your prayers. I don't know what He's going to do, but I can tell you this from His Word, and that is, it's worth the wait. You get in the midst of it, you're concerned that things aren't turning out according to your plans, it's worth the wait. Just hold on. Because God's ways are not our ways, but God's ways are better than our ways. And we see that with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had John the Baptist. And we're going to look at John the Baptist in in, uh, the coming verses and understand that a little bit better. But it's always better than what is expected. And then, finally, God's promises are hard to believe. It's hard to be faithful to God's promises because they're hard to believe. I mean, do you ever live there? Zechariah says, how shall I know this? I mean, I'm old and and my wife, her womb is barren, God. You ever felt that way when you, 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 you look at the possibility or maybe the probability of sharing your faith with people at work or your neighbor or your family? And you feel so insecure, but like, how can I prove the virgin birth and the resurrection of Christ? You can't. <laughs> well, I need to study, I need to spend years studying first, so I'll have all the arguments. Yeah, there's tons of proof, but you cannot convince somebody. You see, evidence convinces nobody, the Spirit of God convinces people. And that's how we have to live. We have to live in great dependence upon God. Why? Because His promises are hard to believe. He tells an old couple that they're going to have a son. And that's foolishness if it's not for God. And then, at the end, I love it. I've already read it, but let's look at verse 25 again. Look at how Elizabeth... Elizabeth goes into hiding for five months, and I don't really know what that's all about. I mean, I can give you a lot of conjecture. I've read commentaries. I'll just kind of tell you what I like, all right? And I'm qualifying that because this isn't, thus saith the Lord, this is thus saith Richard, okay? Um... I just feel like sometimes when you get such a good gift, you just kind of have to hoard it a little bit. I don't know. I feel like Elizabeth just ran away and she's like, you know what, I'm going to wait until I am good and showing. And then I'm coming out, baby. I can't take any more disgrace, but I'm going to go and I'm going to watch my belly grow and I'm going to get have morning sickness and I'm going to praise God for it. Probably not. And I, I'm going to wait until I am good and pregnant and then I am coming out the door and I'm going to say, world... 
Now what do I look like? You know? Now where's your where's all your criticism? You gotta love it. She waited five months, she came out the door, and she declared something very positive. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. It is hard to trust God and to obey God. It is much easier to get yours now. One of my favorite preachers used to say, if all you're looking for in life is pleasure, then get a case of whiskey and a bunch of women and go down to the Caribbean. But if you want real life, if you want to really live and you want satisfaction and you want fulfillment and you want no regret, then I'm telling you, trust Jesus as your Christ. Trust Jesus as your Lord. Give Him everything. Take Him at His Word that He will forgive your sins and He will declare you righteous. Take Him at His Word that He literally came, He literally lived under the law, He died for you, He he rose again, and He's coming back one day. Be so foolish as to believe that one day, someday, this earth will be made new again because Christ is coming, not in some metaphorical, figurative way, but in power and glory. And every knee will bow and every tongue finally confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and His reality, everyone will finally understand, was and is the eternal reality. Be foolish enough to believe that this morning. And God will vindicate you one day someday. Do you think I don't feel foolish sometimes for not having gone to law school like my family wanted me to? Do you think I don't feel foolish sometimes saying some of the things I do? Giving people hope, talking to people on the street, telling them about all the joy that you can have in Christ when my soul is drowning some days? Do you think I don't feel foolish? But what does God say? Keep feeling foolish. Because one day, someday, you're going to get to come out the door pregnant. (laughs) Your barren womb is going to show that it is fruitful by God's grace and power. One day you will walk. One day you will fly. One day you will soar. One day you will feast. One day all of this will be over. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain because Jesus, the Son of God, has come in the flesh and He's lived for us and He died for us. He was raised for us. Believe it, friends. That's what we learn here. So may we kick off Advent pressing deep into Christ. May we believe in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You that You are our everything. And yet, Lord Jesus, we beg. We believe, but help us in our unbelief. Send Your Spirit to to make us believe. To give us greater faith, O God. Help us to believe that You are all that You say that You are. Thank You for the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Thank You, O God, for Your blessing them and Your blessing upon their lives, for giving them tangible evidences of Your love for them so that we might stand back and learn and believe. And Father, I even thank You for Zachariah's skepticism because, oh, how we can relate. And yet, thank You that You didn't leave him mute forever. Uh, He came out preaching. He came out glorifying You. 
Oh God, may we do the same today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.